What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Does it feel like policy is too tight right now? I would have to say no. Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell setting the stage for leaving interest rates yet higher for longer. But he also said that the economy is looking very good, and right now this does not look like a, a, a policy that is restrictive. It's the, key, it's the key words. Right now. In a special interview, Atlanta President Rafael Bostic says buckle up. The Fed remains committed to their goals. We are not going to see a recession. That's not in my outlook. We're going to slow down, and inflation will get down to us 2%. And another day, another speaker vote. Our Eamon Javers on the D.C. drama. It's just not clear that there's anybody in the Republican conference who can get 217 votes. And we get into the impact on policy. There's supposedly three leaders, and none of them are actually leaders. Plus, a special conversation with Rich Paul, the agent who represents LeBron James and Odell Beckham Jr., had humble beginnings but huge ambition. Some people will say you were a gambler, you were a hustler, but I will also say you were an incredible entrepreneur. He's out with a new book and his rules for creating your own luck. When you have an entrepreneurial spirit like I did growing up in the community I did, the only thing we're missing is that opportunity. It's Friday, October 20th. A jam-packed Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. Okay, it's Friday. Uh, We've made it here. It's raining in New York City at this point, and there are some red arrows. Let's welcome Jay to the stage. Jay, for you. First up today on the podcast, Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell said that inflation, well, it's too much. Inflation is still too high, and a few months of good data are only the beginning of what it will take to build confidence that inflation is moving down sustainably toward our goal. In remarks and a Q&A at the Economic Club of New York yesterday, Powell defended his central bank's monetary policy. Aggressively hiking interest rates 11 times over the last 18 months has gotten the stubborn decades-high inflation rate to cool. We are now at an annualized rate of 3.7%. But Powell and co., they're resolute that 2%? It's still the target. We cannot yet know how long these lower readings will persist or where inflation will settle over coming quarters. My colleagues and I are united in our commitment to bring down inflation sustainably to 2%. As Powell spoke, futures market traders erased any possibility of another rate hike at the Fed's next meeting, October 31st and November 1st, and decreased the chances of a move even in December. The evidence of your eyes is that the economy is, is handling much higher rates, at least for now, without difficulty. So notionally, that, that might tell you that, that the neutral rate has risen, or it may just tell you that we haven't had rates high enough for long enough. We have models for everything. We have formulas for everything. Ultimately, as a practitioner, mm-hmm. we have to you know, be focused on what the economy is telling us, even taking lags into account. What's it telling us? Does, does it feel like 
policy is too tight right now? I would have to say no. Jay Powell did say yesterday at the Economic Club of New York where he was speaking that, um, look, ideally, maybe potentially, the market has done it itself to some extent. And if that continues, they wouldn't have to necessarily raise rates more. But he also said that their uh, economy is looking very good. And right now, this does not look like a, a, a policy that is it's restrictive. The key, it's the key words. Yeah. Right now. Right now. Right now. Yeah. That's the problem. A week, two weeks, a month from now, it could be, we could look back and say, yeah, you were way too restrictive in, we, in we the bond market. Was how about this? We could, but, but, but recent let me economic, just say, How about this? Recent economic data shows ongoing progress towards goals. What are the goals? To get inflation down. No, no. The econ recent economic data that shows we're making progress towards our goal. Yeah, the I'm economy's shutting down the economy. Yeah, the economy's But it's not so on the your jobs market. Shutting. It's not on the jobs market. If you looked at that's the jobs claims lag. yesterday. That's never looked, a leading indicator. You're, you're right, but here, the, the alternative to this, and this is what Mohammed laid out yesterday, you're kind of arguing his point that the Fed should be predicting what's going to come instead of relying on data. You are dealing with an institution whose tools operate with lags. So the notion that you are targeting a forward-looking economy in either six to 18 months using data that's backward-looking, that's inherently inconsistent. And yet, the Fed has ended up in that trap. When they've done that in the past, they've been really bad at it. Like, so which, which one of these scenarios do you want? And the idea that he keeps no, talking the, about data dependence. They're predicting data right now that it's not going to slow. No, That's they're not. The I, think, I, I, think, you're I think always you, doing it. Well, I if you're if just you going to use a rearview mirror, you're never going to you know, But, gonna I, but I think if you're going to parse it, I think what he's saying is that they are fine sitting and waiting. They're going to be data dependent, which means they're not necessarily going to act. But if you see inflation rising again, if you see other numbers that come through that indicate differently, they might get back in the game. In hindsight, if, if it turns out that, that, that they have stopped two months ago or whenever it was, there were a lot of people that said this is the last one. A lot, a lot, a lot of people that were willing to go out on a limb and say, look, I, I can see ahead a little bit. I don't have a crystal ball, but it's obvious to me that we're in restrictive territory. Well, meanwhile, the Fed has not it's not gotten, it's not yeah, found You saying religion. we're in restricting ter restrictive yeah. territory doesn't do anything to the markets. Jay Powell saying that, he's in a different position. It's like the Treasury Secretary coming out and saying we don't want a strong dollar. There's a lot of people that it was obvious to them that the Fed was finished. And, and they'd in done hindsight, enough. They, they may or may and not we may, right. And we may have totally overshot. We may have, you know, the, yeah. the journal says it could be, it uh, looks like, oh, what does it say now? The, we could have a mild recession. Economic activity. It's set to weaken in the U.S., leading to a shallow recession next year. Look, I, we'll I agree with you, and I understand that, and I, no, I think it could you're be probably much right. Worse than I, I, I think you're probably right. However, all the people who want him to come out and say we're done, you know. Like, well, he did say it. <laughs> Finally, well, after yes everyone no. else said it two months ago, yeah. three months ago, four months ago, five months ago. It's just. It's, it's easy to be an armchair quarterback in this oh, scenario, yeah. and it's real Definitely. easy to be especially like, when hindsight. Especially when you're just on TV. It means nothing. No, I know. No, I can, yeah. And I can change it every two weeks. But, but then well, again... I'm not talking about you. I'm you, talking about the right, chorus I know, of but people if who have been but I'm channeling those people. Yeah. But if you go back, I guess we, we just realize how bad they are at this from how long they thought inflation yeah. wasn't a problem. Yeah. They couldn't look ahead back then. Why should we think that they have any ability to look ahead now? I agree, and I think you're probably right. I would like to see them stop raising rates, too. However, I think people who want him to come out and say that emphatically are missing the point. You right. know, they're not going to say it. I think what they've done is bought themselves time. I don't think they're eager to keep raising rates. If the rates. 70s and 80s had never happened, 
I think it would have been a lot easier for them this time because yeah. in the back of their mind, they've always got that 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 fear because that that's even a shallow recession is probably not as bad as just inflation that you, that goes on right. for a period of years and you stop and start. Fed policy, where you don't kill it and it comes back and rears its ugly head. Right. But you and, know, and even, I also say I saw him yesterday, so I'm emphatic to. His, I like I, him because he watched and, I said, and I've said to him so many t uh, on the air. I said, you know, who wants a job? You right. have this job, and nobody <laughs> needs this. You're, you know, uh, I think Leesman said something like, at, at your age, why are you still doing this? And it's like, what are you talking about? Are you, he's, <laughs> He's fine. He can do whatever he wants. He's got plenty, you know, went on, you know, on his final. He, he was asked about that yesterday. He said he does take the job very seriously. He, he does. He thinks it's an important task. He's a public to servant. Sure That's what right. public service is, yeah. uh, to, to, to take all this uh, incoming from people like, you know, not just me, but, but other uh, people. Who but needs look, I, I think you're probably right. I, I think the Fed's probably done. I think they should be done. I don't think they want to raise rates. They more might not be. We may be going to 8%. We may, but it doesn't look. In Japan, you know, suddenly rates are, yeah. wow, they're surging there. They're, yeah. they're closing in on 1%. That might that They're going to let happen. them actually float. Might happen someday. Right. We got important work to do. Important work to do. We need to help Israel. We need to get the appropriations process moving so that the key elements of our government are funded and funded in the right way, particularly our military. We need to get back to our committee work. And frankly, we need to continue the oversight work that I think is so darn important. In short, we need to get to work for the American people. We need to do what we said we were gonna do. We need to do what we told them we were gonna do when they elected us and put us in office. And frankly, we can't do that if the House isn't open. We can't open the House until we get a speaker. Uh. We have no, no one in the House. There's, there's supposedly three leaders. There's McCarthy, Jordan, and McHenry. And none of them are actually leaders. What but about they're Scalise? all. Yeah. I, I, now, those were the three that are sort of right now. Wrangling. Are, 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 are talking for the, for the body as if they are in a position to, but they're, they're actually not. It's going to be the third time. Uh, will it be a charm for Congressman Jim Jordan in his bid to become House Speaker? He had uh, fewer vote, votes in his second attempt. The House is expected to vote again today after a plan to temporarily put a pro tem speaker, uh, Patrick McHenry, in charge, ran into resistance from some conservatives. Uh, but Jordan is not expected to close the gap on the 20 or 22 uh, votes keeping him from becoming speaker. And in fact, uh, and I like all three, you know, I have feelings about a lot of different uh, politicians. I like Patrick McHenry a lot when he's been on. I actually like uh, Jim Jordan. I know that's a controversial thing to say. And McCarthy, uh, I have respect for and, and like him. I don't know about, the, as, as McCarthy calls him, Gates and the Crazy Eights or whatever uh, they're called there. Uh, interesting piece from Kimberly Strassel. Uh, it's interesting to have a body where every man is king. And that's what we really have right hmm. now. That doesn't work. Yeah, but any one, one person can Any one person uh, can mess it up. But, you know, Patrick McHenry is a man of principle, and you would think so, if you think of Patrick. I always kid him about that, Patrick Henry, Patrick McHenry, yes. son of Henry. Uh, but where he said, if you expect me to completely break with convention and start passing laws when I'm not the actual speaker, and that's the way it has to be, I'll quit. I'll right. quit if that's what you're expecting. So 
Uh, one, He's been very firm about that. I think it would be very difficult to change his mind. Right. Um, but McCarthy, when he was here earlier this week yeah. and, and talked to us about it, he said, look, watch the vote count. Jim Jordan is prepared to do that job. I lost about 20 on the first round, too. Uh, coming into the second round, well, the thing I would look at, making sure that vote number goes up. If he can hold his votes and number goes up, I think he can get there. The number of holdouts goes down. The number of holdouts went up, went from 20 to 22 on the second vote. So that doesn't signal. Uh, I can't imagine he'd get some of the, some of the uh, individuals in, in Biden districts where their grasp is tenuous at, at best. And if you vote for a flamethrower, including uh, like Jim City. Jordan. Yeah. President Biden uh, delivering a rare speech from the Oval Office last night, laying out the nation's a case to provide more aid to Ukraine and Israel, and even won over some uh, some typical some people that are usually critical of of the president said it was one of his best and strongest uh, performances uh, to date. Amen. Yeah, fascinating to watch the reaction on Fox and other places. Look, in his address to the nation last night, President Biden found the through line linking both conflicts and made an argument for why Americans should be invested in the success of both Ukraine and Israel. Hamas and Putin represent different threats, but they share this in common. They both want to completely annihilate a neighboring democracy. Beyond that, the president also explained why it's important to stop terrorists and tyrants. I know these conflicts can seem far away. And it's natural to ask, why does this matter to America? History has taught us that when terrorists don't pay a price for their terror, when dictators don't pay a price for their aggression, they cause more chaos and death and more destruction. They keep going, and the cost and the threats to America and the world keep rising. Biden made an oblique reference to China without naming the country, saying would-be aggressors around the world would be emboldened by a lack of American resolve in either Israel or Ukraine. And on the home front, the president sought to reassure vulnerable Americans, both Muslims and Jews, saying that he sees their concerns and that all Americans must come together. And finally, Biden sought to draw a contrast between an American-led world of commerce and markets and a Russian or Hamas vision of what he called rage and war. Now, we expect to learn more detail this morning about the president's budget request for military aid to both countries and get a better picture of whether that package can pass in, as you guys have been discussing, a deeply divided and even dysfunctional Congress right now. Back over to you guys. All right. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what do you guess? I mean, Amy, we ask people this every day. I don't, I don't think people who are in leadership positions in the House have any idea what comes next. But what, what, what would the betting line be? You know, it's just not clear that there's anybody in the Republican conference who can get 217 votes. And then the question for Republicans becomes, what do you do with that? Right. I mean, the reality is the Republican Party has broken down in some fundamental way. Uh, they, they can't agree on a single leader uh, for the conference in the House of Representatives. Uh, so so what do you do? Right. I mean, I've been watching for Hakeem Jeffries to, to come in off the sidelines and persuade five Republicans or six Republicans to switch parties and join him. Uh, that's what happened when Jim Jeffords switched parties uh, in the Senate years ago and switched the whole Senate uh, mm -hmm. control partisan wise 
compromise himself, just one man doing that. You could see five people or six people doing that here. Uh, the question is whether Hakeem Jeffries even wants to be Speaker of the House in the last year of a presidency where you have the president, you know, polling in the 30s, not a whole lot of legislation going to get done in an election year anyway. Uh, you know, the Democrats might not want the speakership right now. So the question is, can they reopen the House at all? I don't see a solution here. I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert on this, but I've been uh, hanging around Capitol Hill for a long time. We've just never seen a situation like this, guys. Uh, that I just never know. Yeah, that's not, not the, the, the horror of not those five, but a different eight to have Kevin McCarthy as speaker. They were horrified by that. Can you imagine the horror of the average uh, a Republican congressman to actually yeah. be somehow but at some involved, point, to be somehow involved with Hakeem Jeffries in, in a GOP-led. At some point, it might not be up to the average Republican. That, who would that be? I mean, they, they don't at some exist. point, it, at some they, point, I mean, you go. The first thing you do is you go and if you're Hakeem Jeffries and you want this, never. Uh, the first thing you do is you go and look at the list of Republicans who are in districts that Joe Biden won and won overwhelmingly. And you look at those people and you say, okay, what would it take to bring them across? Oh, do you have God, to promise them, them a the DCCC won't finance primary opponents? Do you have to promise be, them chairmanships? What do you have to, to promise them? It would be easier to put McCarthy back. It would be easier to put McCarthy back. He could get some of the, he could peel off four of those eight. It's a different set of voters, though. In. It's a totally different block. I Remember, Jeffrey says 212, people, But you're not going right? to find five people. Find five, you'd call them total turncoats. There's just no way. Well, in the Senate, it happened because it was You would call them that, but then they'd be running as Democrats for re-election. Yeah. Cheese will be next. Coming up. Because yesterday was so confusing, I need to ask you to help us put what the chairman said into context. Our Steve Leesman on set with Atlanta Fed President Rafael Bostic. These are complicated times because there are lots of things going in all directions. On the progress the economy has made against inflation and the work still to do. We're going to have to be cautious. We're going to have to be patient. But we're going to have to be resolute. More Squawk Pod right after this. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for business. Tractor Supply trusts 5G solutions from T-Mobile. Together, we're connecting over 2,200 stores with 5G business internet, empowering AI so team members can match shoppers with the products they need faster. This is enriching customer experience. This is Tractor Supply with T-Mobile for business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Stand by, Joe. His mic, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick, and Andrew uh, is off this morning. Steve Leisman is back at the table with us, and he has brought a special guest. Steve? Yes, Rafael Bostic, the Atlanta Fed president, joins us now on a uh, fortuitous day. Rafael, thank you for joining us. It's good to be here, Steve. Good to see you. So... I would almost never start an interview with a Fed official like this, but because yesterday was so confusing, I need to ask you to help us put what the chairman said 
into context. If you look at the 10-year, the yield was up, it was down, it was sideways, and ultimately settled, uh, settled lower. The two-year yield went up, went down, went sideways, ultimately settled a little bit lower. Uh, the stock market was up and down. Was it a hawkish message? Was it a dovish message? How did you put it in context? I know you listen to the chairman almost probably more closely than I do. I listen to him every day. <laughs> and it's actually very important. Look, this, these are complicated times because there are lots of things going in all directions. We have inflation's come down a lot, and I think the momentum is going to continue to be that way. Uh, but you see the resilience in the broader economy, which makes it difficult, and that is, is it's, a, it's a complicated thing. And so in talking about the economy, it's always a challenge because you have these cross currents. Whatever narrative you want to tell, there is some data that's, that's a counter on it. For me, I just try to stay focused on looking ahead, trying to get intelligence about where people are thinking and feeling the economy is going to go. And what I've learned in the six years I've been in this job is that when you talk to real people and they tell you real things, it's real. And so I really try to lean into that and, and take that on board. And what are they telling you now? And how different is that from the strong data that we've had uh, recently, strong retail sales? Uh, up your, your Atlanta Fed GDP is... Uh, you know, practically a skyscraper out there. It's north of five, which is, which is high. I understand that. But look, when I talk to businesses, they all tell me the slowdown is coming. They see it. They are seeing their customers start to act in different ways. And uh, they expect that where we are today is a lot stronger than we will be six months from now. I've really taken that on board and thinking about uh, what restrictiveness looks like and how it's likely to play out over the next six months. Before I open it up to my esteemed colleagues, I just need to ask you this question. You are the only Fed official, from what I can see, who has used the phrase sufficiently restrictive. Chair Powell yesterday twice got up to there and said, no. He twice said, we're still looking for that level. Are you going to be sat at the table all the way at the other end when you get into the next meeting? Or are you feeling alone out on a limb? Do you still feel like the Fed is sufficiently restrictive here? So... I, you'll have to ask everyone else sort of where they are. My seat is set at the table where it is. Oh, it doesn't, so, doesn't change so based it on doesn't, your They don't move us around depending <laughs> on whether they're happy with our view or not. Uh, but what I would say is this. Uh, I've listened to a number of my other colleagues, and what they have said is very similar to what I'm hearing, which is the businesses are feeling and they're seeing the slowdown. They're anticipating things will, will uh, contract and constrict from here. And they say a bunch of our policy tightness still hasn't gone through the whole economy. And so I think the trajectory of the economy is likely to go in a way that is very consistent with my, what my outlook is, which is we are not going to see a recession. That's not in my outlook. We're going to slow down and inflation will get down to its 2%. President Bostic, I hear what uh, Chairman Powell said yesterday, and I kind of think, okay, it, it sounds like he's not really eager to raise rates. It sounds like th this has probably bought some time for the committee to decide what they want to do next. Um, is that the sense you get? Like, he doesn't want to let markets know that, uh, that, that maybe they're done, because that would do some pretty lousy things anyway if the market takes that and runs to the bank with it. Um, but at this point, you know, look, we're, we're going to look around. We're data dependent to me. That says we're, we're just going to see what happens. Well, I think we're always that way. I mean, so we always want to see what happens. I think the, the, the risk is that the market gets ahead of itself and starts to anticipate that we have had an outcome before we've actually had the outcome. And so as I talk about it, I really do try to keep people focused on, look, inflation is still at 3.7%. Our target is 2 
they are not the same, and we have to get a lot closer to the 2% before we're going to consider, before I would consider any kind of relaxation of our posture. Inflation is job one, we have to get that under control. And there's a risk that if we start to hint, oh, we think we're already there. We think rates are coming down. Exactly. And, and I, I don't, that's not in my head today. Uh, and I don't think that we'll be uh, cutting rates before the middle of next year at the earliest. It'd be bad if we had high inflation and, and definitely weaker economic activity. That's just the worst. Inflation bothers people. And that's what we've heard uh, consistently through this period. Uh, even before the pandemic, we had started having uh, uh, conversations and, and, and conferences, we asked, inflation or jobs? And everyone said inflation is much worse. So we have got to get that under control. So I well, think you're What exactly if right. what you're doing isn't what gets it under control and you end up, <clears throat> inflation stays high and the economy does slow and, and it's not the, the antidote for the inflation in the first place. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's tough. Well, it's a risk. Uh, you know, we're going to do all we need to and all we can to get inflation under control. I'm actually pretty confident that that's where we're going to go. When I talk to many business leaders, they're telling me their pricing power is much weaker than it used to be, uh, and they are going to be much more sensitive about even trying to raise prices from here because there's a risk that they're going to lose customers. I mean, I'm convinced you can slow the economy with mortgage rates where they are, and, and uh, there's just a lot of reasons to think that, that, that you will be successful in in slowing growth in the economy. I don't know if that necessarily translates to 2% inflation, though, and that's what the bad thing. I think it will. We, I mean, we'll yeah. have to see, and you know, time will tell. Yeah. But I'm, I'm pretty confident that we can, we can get to our target. Raphael, um, by the way, the, the Beige Book, which is the collection of anecdotes, was much more downbeat or stable or neutral or, uh, than, than, than any of the economic data we've had, which is an interesting thing. Um, do you think the neutral rate is ultimately higher is the long-run rate for the Fed funds, is it a higher rate than it had been in the past? I don't know. I mean, it very possibly could be, and this is going to be something that we're going to talk about a lot over the next, you know, five years or so as we start to rethink all of our framework. So, you know, we're starting to do right. our framework review on a much more regular basis, and that time is coming up. Uh, there have been a lot of changes in the economy. If you think about the pandemic alone, how people are working has changed. Uh, how people have retired has changed, uh, and how people want to live their lives has changed. You know, I've talked to a number of families where they had two, two earner families, uh, and then they started doing the math during the pandemic and said, look, one of these earnings is just to cover commuting costs and maybe a night out. And maybe daycare. we want to just keep one of you home. Yeah, daycare too. E exactly right. And, and so there's a lot of those structural things that are right. happening. Those things we'll have to really evaluate. So I, I'm interested in how you're operating relative to that idea, which is, when do you see the Fed might reduce rates? So when we get really close to 2%, I, I mean, I'm... That, that right, but if you had to give us a date or a time. So I would say late 2024. Okay, all right, so stick with that. Late 2024, you're not, you're going to keep rates, your best, your best outlook, I understand it's just a forecast. And yet in that same forecast, I'm guessing inflation comes down. So that means you are forecasting a higher real rate, at least for the next year than otherwise, which sort of tells me you're operating under a, maybe that neutral rate is higher. Uh, that's, possible. that's possible. Look, today there's still a lot of momentum in the economy, right? Which means I, my outlook says that inflation is going to come down, but it's not going to like fall off a cliff. It's going to be a slow kind of, steady is probably not the right word, but it'll be sort of a, a progression to two that's going to take some time. And so we're going to have to be cautious 
we're going to have to be patient, but we're going to have to be resolute. We're going to, we're not, and like to me, I've really tried very hard to not let any individual data point drive or cause me to change or, or adjust uh, too rapidly. Because I think what we're going to see is the data is going to bounce around. And so it's going to be sort of a longer term trend that's the thing I've got to focus on. If, look, if inflation expectations take off uh, over the long term, that's going to be a problem. We're going to have to respond to that. If inflation uh, reverses itself and starts to rise, we're going to have to address that. So, so I'm not locked into anything, but I think the long-term trend is actually moving in a very positive way. You know, Steve's made the point, we've talked about how you are probably closer to this than any other FOMC member, just in terms of saying, okay, maybe we're done. That's how we've painted it. I don't, I don't know if you see it the same way. Do your colleagues feel similarly? And I ask because you're not a voting member this time around. Are, are those sentiments things that you feel like your colleagues are kind of on the same board with? Or is that an uphill battle to get to convince them of the same? So, you know, I, don't think about, I don't think about it like a battle. I think part of this is uh, different uh, presidents and different governors. They have different information sets. And so we're all seeing different parts of the economy. And what our conversations are really about is how we are all collectively seeing them. Mm -hmm. uh, what I would say is the data has come in over the last several months consistent with what I've expected and, and the inflation has started to move down and that's informing how everyone is viewing the world. Uh, and we'll just continue to, to see that process. And I think you've heard this from my colleagues as they've been going around, um, much more open to just saying, look, things are moving in the way that is, is consistent with getting to our target. Uh, let's, let's, let what, what if the 10 years totally unmoored and I'm wondering if you have a how high could it go with no more Fed action how high could the tenure go given that people have to feel like they're getting paid to, to stay somewhere for 10 years I mean I wouldn't do it for five percent I don't think because I because I'm worried that I want a lot more so could we go to five and a half or six percent with the Fed totally out of, of without raising so you know that's a good question I actually don't think about that very much. Like, well, I, like, that could ruin everything. No I, no, I understand that. But but what that will then translate to are things in the real economy. And so what I try to do, I talk to my business leaders, I talk to families, and I want to know how these rates are affecting their decisions today and how they expect they will affect them tomorrow. And what we've heard so far is that you know, many businesses are still flush with cash. Mm -hmm. And so the, uh, the, the real world effect is going to be muted relative to what it would be otherwise. And so that's the, that's the way I'm thinking about this, to try to understand what the impact is likely to be on the things that oh. are, are our metrics. But I just want to point out, you, you're a voting member next year, right? Yeah, a couple of months. January, yeah. Yeah. So. How worried are you about the corporate refinance that's coming down? Because right now people have been immune to it, or Ooh. the companies have been, but they're going to have to at some point refinance that debt. Yeah, we talk about that a lot in our building. It's, it's something that we are definitely keeping an eye on, and it is true that many of the, the corporations that, that took out debt, they refinanced 2020 and 2021. So that's coming due now. Over the next several years, I think in the next year and a half even, there's trillions of dollars that is going to be refinanced. That is going to have an effect. So this is, you know, I said earlier, there's still some slowdown that's coming because of our policies. This is one of the dimensions where that's, that's in, in the building you just said you're in might have to refinance too at, at, a, at a, a harbor, but I think they own it, Joe. But, yeah, I, 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 oh, that's right. Okay, well, you're lucky. Um, I mean, the good thing is that, that the bond market can do some of the work for the Fed. But if it's to if you're totally not controlling it, you're not controlling it, and it may do way too much work. 
for you? Well, I mean, so uh, I don't think that we actually control the bond market. Like there are other factors that drive right. its, its dynamic. We've got to do what we need to do. Are the vigilantes back? They kind of are, Raphael, aren't they? They're, they're like looking around, they're not buying. They're not buying what we're selling right now. Yeah, I, so I, I don't know about the vigilantes, I, 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 but I will say this. Does the government have to get its act together? Is, is the deficit unsustainable? Uh, the deficit will become a, more of an issue as debt service uh, increases, and that's, that's coming. Uh, my, I expect that uh, the Congress will, and the, and the President, will start having conversations on this pretty aggressively. I think you ought to give your vote to somebody else. Say, I don't want to be responsible for this. I don't, this is not my, I, I, I want to watch. Um, can you do that? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, President Bostic, thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Steve, thank you. Up next on Squawk Pod, he went from selling jerseys out of the back of his car in Cleveland to representing the greats of our time. The agent for LeBron James, Odell Beckham Jr., Anthony Davis, and so many others, Rich Paul, on entrepreneurship and drive. I would meet a young man in the airport that would go on to become LeBron James. That was an opportunity given, but everything I have today was earned. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Squawk Pod, today with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. Welcome back, everybody. Our next guest is the super agent to some of the biggest names in sports. He has negotiated over $4 billion in deals for his all-star clients. Those clients include LeBron James, Odell Beckham, Beckham Jr., Trey Young, many others. And joining us right now is Rich Paul. He's the founder and CEO of Clutch Sports Group. His new memoir is called Lucky Me. In it, Paul outlines his background in gambling and developing his rules for creating your own luck, which led to his success as a top sports agent. Rich, uh, I want to thank you for being here. You've got a fascinating story. Um, I've been amazed by what you have done, what you have built, and how you got there. For people who don't know the background, maybe start out telling a little bit about how you got there, how you started out. Some people will say you were a gambler, you were a hustler, but I will also say you were an incredible entrepreneur and you figured out very early um, the way a lot of people do. I, I think of somebody like a Warren Buffett who had a lot of entrepreneurialism when he was a kid, uh, somebody like Kevin Plank. Just tell people what you did, how you started out. Yeah, I think, you know, I started out working in my dad's store and amongst all those other things, I was also a straight A student along the way. But as you know, my, my, my Clark was, was my dad's storage where I learned my curriculum. My community was, was my assembly line, if, you know, if, if it was like, like Ford. Um, but like Warren Buffett and like Kevin Plank, I didn't have anyone to give me a loan or, or really focus on my business plan per se. Uh, there was very little options for us. There was very little opportunity for us. And when you have an entrepreneurial spirit like I did growing up in the community I did, the only thing we're missing is that opportunity. And, and we didn't have that. So you have to do what it takes to survive, um, to 
to allow yourself to be repositioned to maybe one day have some clarity. And, and, and that one day for me, uh, as fate would have it, I would meet a young man in the airport uh, that would go on to become LeBron James. But that was an opportunity given. Uh, but everything I have today was earned. Earned. And, and you went on with LeBron James, became his agent, went with him uh, and worked with him as his right hand man the whole way up. You eventually left, started your own agency and you've built up a huge list of clientele. But these clients are insanely loyal to you, I guess, because you've earned that loyalty, too. Why don't you talk a little bit about what it takes um, to build your own way and to earn that kind of loyalty? Yeah, first, it takes the real belief. You know, I left an agency in which people would have looked at it. You know, you got here without having a college degree. Um, you probably don't deserve to be working here. You should just you should just be happy with this job. That's how they seen it. That's how most people would see it. But that's not how I how I see it. And I saw something that I felt like my heart wanted to change. I wanted to disrupt the industry that I felt like was not educating the athlete. Everything was about a transaction. And once the talent ran out, the relationship was over. And so as you see the company that we built, because I don't do it by myself, I started the company um, with one. The first thing I did, I hired one, one young lady. Her name's uh, Fairleft. For a long time, we played every role within the company, and then we started to scale. And then when I went and partnered with UTA in 2019, that was about doing what was best for the client. That was about scaling property properly and providing more resources and more relationships that became global as the athlete started to develop and grow and have bigger aspirations of just playing the game of, of, of basketball or even football per se. So today, I sit as co-head of sports at UTA. I've started Clutch Sports Group, built it. We've done over $4 billion in contracts, as well as I'm on the board of UTA. I'm on the board of Live Nation. I sit in these rooms today as a young man who comes from a different background, but more importantly, as an example to the youth, despite wherever you come from, this book, Lucky Me, is a gift to them. It's that everyone can share and experience whether it's through a, a sentence, a chapter, several chapters in Lucky Me. And so I wanted it to be impactful. I wanted it to have a perception and um, a story of perseverance. And what I can say for me, my dad was so vital to me growing up. I learned math, playing people's lottery numbers and selling beer, wine and cigarettes, customer service, working with people every day from all different walks of life. And so I was extremely lucky in that regard. But when you when you actually read the book, you'll understand that that title can be very sarcastic because my mom did struggle. I had a struggle with that. I, you know, I would go six, seven, eight months straight without ever seeing my mom as a as a fourth grader and a fifth grader. You know, and so that can be tough. And there's plenty of kids out there today that's probably going through the same challenges without having anyone hear or care about what's going on in their life. I just want them to know to continue to push because as you become older and, and able to do things for yourself, you're just as genius as anybody. If you take these kids and you put them in Harvard Business School, you put them in Stanford, they can become the next Mark Zuckerberg or whomever they want to be. And so I truly believe that and they can damn sure become the next Rich Paul. Yeah. And I love the rules that you come through with this. Things like Take care of your people, iron your clothes, neutralize your anger. You, you give all of these uh, sort of rules in your book. I wonder if survival you could, uh, 
Those are survival groups. Yeah, they're all, they're all things that make perfect sense. Rich, I wonder if you can comment on what's taking place in, in college um, sports right now, college athletics with the NIL, the rules of name, image, and likeness. How has that changed things just in terms of what it means for the athletes themselves, the people you represent? It, it's changed a lot. But, I, but, you know, we have to be very careful with this because the focus was young men and women should be paid based upon what we saw the colleges making from their name, image, and likeness. That is great and that is important. But what we can't forget is the essence. And so now if we only focus on the finance of it, it's gonna saturate the collegiate game. And you see these kids transferring and you see everything being only about who can pay me NIL money and how much money they can pay me. And then when you get people involved, it almost becomes like a, you know, we're trying to get rich thing. It's, it's not a get rich thing. Okay, if you're, if you're a college quarterback and you stand for four years or five years and, you, and you're and you not going to be a pro for, for you know, um, you really probably won't be a pro at a high level, then it might be best for you to stay in college as long as you can and make NIL money. But you just have to be really careful with it. And I think that there's going to be an adjustment to this um, in some capacity because as you can see, the colleges, coaches are being very, it's getting very frustrated. Uh, it's becoming the wild, wild west. I'm all for young men and women making money through their name, image, and likeness. But the most important thing as it pertains to NIL is the protection mm -hmm. of your name, image, and likeness. And that's mm -hmm. where we lead as natives. Rich, want to thank you very much for joining us. Rich Paul again. And the book is called Lucky Me. Appreciate your time. Thank you, guys. And the Department of Energy says it wants to buy 6 million barrels of oil for the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. It's hoping to get a price of $79 or less. The department uh, is working to refill the Petroleum Reserve after President Biden uh, ordered a historic release to try to stem uh, high gas prices. Um, buy low, sell high. Yeah. Not sure that's... Uh, that's what we're doing here. There was a time. There was a time. Very briefly, yeah, where we could have filled it at lower. And, and the whole idea, uh, and, and it is, it does get a little scary. With no one was expecting the Middle East to totally be a different place than what we saw, what we thought it was six months ago. No, and if you looked at oil prices three weeks ago, we were talking about how energy prices had come down 10% in 10 days, uh, WTI, and that was something we were watching really closely. It was on concerns that. There wasn't going to be as much demand around the globe with yeah. the potential recession. Is that before October 7th? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it, it, it turned very quickly. It was leading right up to that. We had seen WTI down pretty significantly. If, it was, if there was a real situation, how much, how much do we, we don't have that much for the, for the emergency, what it was designed for. It was no, but not we also produce far more energy today. Right, but it was not designed to, to, to help stem a, 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 an inconvenient price rise yeah. for an administration. Um, you're in, you in every day next week? I am. Yep. I, I am. And I think, uh, I think our friend Andrew is. Uh, so that'll be something. Make sure you join us.
That's the pod for today and for the week. Thanks for listening. To catch a full three hours of Squawk, tune into our live programming. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. That is weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. It's easy to be an armchair quarterback in this oh, scenario. Yeah. Especially when you're just on TV. And for the highlights, plus a little extra every day, follow us right here on Squawk Pod, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.